Folks, welcome back to The Dip. It's The Dip now, and uh, we're missing Chris today. It's just Mike and I, but uh, we should have a good episode talking a little bit about uh, U.S. Women's Open and uh, the Euro Tour event. So should be a low-key little episode, but uh, actually some interesting stuff going on in the world of golf right now. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, final season claims another victim. Yeah, yeah. He, he's been procrastinating all that shit for four or five days now, and I could see him do it. Yep, so so if you see Chris, tell him to, tell him to pick up the slack. Yeah, he's got to get his life together. Yeah, Good day I to mean, do it, though. It is a good day to do it. So we do have an interesting week. Hey, Sean, uh, the Masters is not the last major of the year. No, it's not. Uh, U.S. Women's Open um, in December, which is really odd and even more odd that they're playing it on two golf courses because they don't have enough daylight to play it on one. So crazy format. We'll get into it a little bit. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of shit going down. USGA definitely catching some flack. Yeah, we'll get into that. That's a kind of a running theme with the USGA championships. Uh, they it seem seems to make, like they just they can't. They seem to make they can't have a smooth one. It's just every single one has something that goes wrong, and everyone overreacts because it's the USGA. Well, they they are very good at making a mountain out of a molehill. And at the beginning of the week, I feel as though they gather up in a room and they say, "How can we fuck it up this time?" Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they're, they're a walking controversy. So let's get into it. U.S. Women's Open. This is being hosted at the Champions Golf Club down in Houston, Texas. As Sean alluded to it, they're playing in it on two golf courses due to limited daylight, you know, been pushed back to December just with the state of the world. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know a lot about Champions Golf Club. I know it's, uh, I think it's Jackie Burke Jr.'s course. I think he... It is Jackie Burke's. He built it up. Um, I don't think they've hosted a major before. Um, they have, but not since like the 60s or the 70s. Yeah, okay. I knew they, so this they is, could have had something then, but yeah, so this is kind of a while. Yeah, so this is basically its return to the limelight. Um, shout out to Jackie Burke Jr. He's 98 or 97 years old. I mean, I would, I'd just be happy if I was alive at 97 years old, <laughs> let, let alone seeing you know my – my golf course hosts, you know, such a major event at that age. I mean, it's got to be an immense source of pride for him. So, Jackie Burke, good on you. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, guy's still kicking it around. So, I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter earlier this week. A lot of people saying, you know, you need to watch the U.S. the Women's U.S. Open. Um, they're trying to make it a big deal because it's in December. There's not much else going on. But my issue with a lot of the stuff that I saw is that, you know, people are just hyping it up just because there's nothing else going on. Like, oh, you got to watch the U.S. Women's Open. You know, there's no PGA Tour event. There's just, you know, European Tour Championship. So you got to watch it. It's like, why, why do we just have to watch it this year? Like, why isn't this – why haven't you hyped it up in the past? Because now a lot of people are coming in not knowing – anything about women's golf, really including myself, I, you know, I know a little bit, I'll watch it kind of like I watch the European tour, like, you know, I'll just kind of have it on in the background when it's on. But why do you need to have a big deal, make a big deal out of it just this year? Like this should have been a constant progression of advertising this because it is a major championship. It is a national championship and it's the U S open. Like 
this should have been a process, not just one year, like, oh, let's do a big advertising campaign. Let's pay some of the top men's players to advertise it. I, I just don't understand it. Now it seems kind of weird. That's like, it seems very sudden, like, oh, you got to watch this. But no, it should be a progression. I, Sean, I'm really happy that you made that point. And we talked about representation in the game of golf, you know, whether it be for women or minorities. And it seems as though that they're pushing this because there's nothing on right now. And this kind of, this is kind of it. So they're like, oh my God, we have a glorious opportunity. Let's just not ram it down your throats, but let's give it a little bit of extra marketing when no matter what time of year it is, you should be pushing it this hard. Exactly. And my real gripe with it is too, why isn't it always isolated like this? Like they should have this, if they really want to amp it up and make it a big deal and have it not conflict with a normal PGA tour event, you know, usually you'd have college sports going on, like whatever, there's, there's plenty of stuff to watch. Put it in a weekend where there's no PGA Tour event. Like, give it its own weekend so that you can do this every year and continue to build it up so that people start to tune in. Because I'm sorry if you hype it up a couple weeks before the event and no one watches women's golf, or you know maybe they're just a PGA Tour event fan. They're not gonna they're not gonna tune in and watch it. I'm sorry, that's just not how it works. Yeah, the point you're getting to is that you need to give the viewer something to latch on to. Yeah, there needs to be context, you know? And I don't want this to break down into like a segment where I rag on the uncollaborative nature of the PGA Tour. But the thing is, is that when you look at NBA players, they're constantly bigging up like the WNBA say, hey, go watch these girls. These are these girls are really good. Why can't guys on the PGA Tour do the same thing? Or I'm not saying that we need, the PGA Tour needs to give up a week that, is just dedicated to to the LPGA because in reality that's never going to happen. That's just the way the yeah. PGA Tour works. But why can't we incentivize some of these, you know, these bigger name PGA Tour players saying, "Hey, go watch these girls." And you know, Joe Schmo, who's probably like a 13 handicap, who swings his driver at 84 miles an hour. Guess what? The women's game is going to be a lot more relatable for him. Because those yeah. swing speeds, the way the way the ball spins, are much more akin to your average male golfer, as opposed to the PGA Tour, where these guys are swinging, you know, 118, 120 miles an hour consistently. Yeah, it's I, I'm totally not shitting on women's golf by any means. I I think I think it's awesome. Like I think it's totally relatable to the average player. It kind of gets a lot of press for that. Like you know, go watch the women because it's relatable to the average player, but also go watch them because they're really freaking good. Like they are so accurate. It's ridiculous. So, I, you know, I think they should be, I think they should get more credit actually than a, a lot of other women's sports. Like the level of play on the LPGA tour is insane. insane compared to when you watch the WNBA, I'm sorry, but the level of play is not, it's not there. It's not quite, you know, what you'd expect from a professional sport. But with the LPGA, it's ridiculous. Like, these girls are going so low. They're so accurate. They're so good. They're just not hitting it quite as far. So I, I think people should watch it for that reason. And I really do think it's a good product. It just needs to be built up more, potentially by the men in the game, because people will listen to Dustin Johnson says, 
go watch the LPGA tour this weekend, you know, come back and see how good they are. That that's really what's going to help build it up. And a lot of, because the girls that are interested in golf, they're probably watching the LPGA tour. It's the men that tune into the PGA tour events every week, you know, even kind of like myself that don't watch the LPGA. And if you could get them into it, I think they'd really appreciate how good they are. Yeah, absolutely. Like if imagine if Dustin Johnson was just on his couch saying, you know, watching the US Women's Open with the with the family, go Danielle Kang. I know that I know the Gretzky's and the Kang family have have close ties. Like that would be, yeah. you know, somebody on Twitter would be like, okay, here's somebody that I can get invested get invested into. Exactly. I want to shout out Mike Wan. You know, he's done an amazing job as commissioner with the LPGA Tour, bringing it back to financial stability and actually to a place that and where women's golf is actually in a really, really healthy place because back probably in the, in the mid late two thousands, the LPGA was in a really, really, really dire state. I'm blanking on what the last commissioner's name was, but she, she was an absolute idiot. Um, You know, like the big policy was that all the players need to be able to speak English when, which is ridiculous when, all your best players are Koreans. It's just like I know that's totally alienating all your best players, but alienating, yeah. borderline racist. Yeah, but you alluded to it. So we're playing on the the Cypress Creek and the Jackrabbit courses. Cypress Creek is the main one. The Jackrabbit is is the one that came in last minute. Apparently, they rushed like a giant bunker re- renovation just to get ready for this, like over the summer. Is there still sod technically ground under repair? Or- no, the bunkers look fine, but the superintendent, he came in in, in around 2015, 2016, and he's just had a torrid five years. He's had two major storms. Harvey absolutely beat the shit out of the Houston area. So he's yeah. dealt with like hundreds of years worth of floods in terms of how much water the course has accumulated. Yeah. Um, so he's really done a phenomenal job just to get this course in shape. I want to talk a little bit about the favorites heading into the championship. Sayin Kim, she's the world number two. She's been on an absolutely nuclear hot stretch. One basically in pretty much every start that she's had since the restart. Um, she's she's a nine to one favorite. Indy Park is eleven to one. You know, notorious South Korean player, probably an all time great women's golfer at this at this stage in her career. And then at twelve to one is Danielle Kang. She's the highest ranked American in the field at uh, at world number four. Yeah, um, Kang is playing pretty well right now. I've, I've noticed. I've seen her a lot on leaderboards. So apparently, her boyfriend Matthew McNeely was following her around, just basically being a shell boy for all of her snacks this week. <laughs> What's new? Yeah, good for him. No American has won a major on the LPGA in the last nine majors. You know that? Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, so we're on a little bit of a drought. So hopefully, you know, Danielle Kang or, you know, the Cordes sisters are pulling through. Jessica's playing well. Nellie's yeah. coming off of a little bit of a back problem. Uh, Jennifer Cupcho, excuse me, is playing really well also. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know too much about the players themselves. You know, I'm looking at this leaderboard right now. We're, we're watching it happen live uh, doing this podcast on Thursday morning. And it looks like the scores are pretty high. You know, this, this course isn't overly long, or these, these two courses. I think they're around 6,500 yards. But, you know, they, I would expect them to be playing firm pretty fast, U.S. Open conditions. So, you know, I look at some of the people that have just teed off. There's a couple girls that are two, three, four over just through a couple holes. So, yeah. 
Look for there to be some carnage this week. Leaders are two under right now. So I don't think they're going to go crazy deep like they usually do on the LPGA. So apparently the greens on the Cypress Creek course are massive. Like the average square footage is around 10,000 feet. Those are huge. Yeah, that's that's huge. Yeah, but the, the Jackrabbit course, that's a little bit more around six or 7,000, which is still pretty big. But like 10,000, you can fit a house on. <laughs> do you want to get into the into some USGA slander. Uh, I know there was a lot of talk this week about a fence being interfering with the golf course or, or the driving range. You want so, to Sean, that? I want to rewind a little bit to the ANA inspiration. Do you remember the wall behind the 18th green? So I, I don't. I've heard about it, but I do not remember. So the so the 18th green at the at the ANA. It's an island green, par five. And, you know, there's no bleachers, no grandstand. So there typically be a grandstand there. And, of course, with no fans, there's no reason to put any grandstands or ropes around. But ANA decides to just say, all right, we need to do an activation here. We need some advertising. So they put up behind the green the biggest fucking billboard I have ever seen. And it, was, it had to be only like five paces off the green. Other than that, you just go straight into the water. This thing had to be at least 20 feet high. It was like, it, it looks like the Great Wall of China. It was, that's a bailout. That's a total bailout. But that's, the, the, that's the controversy. Everybody was basically backstopping. And yeah. like people were saying, if we hit it long, we had the big fucking wall back there. So people were, were intentionally airing wall. Yeah, and, and we see it happen on the PGA Tour every now and then with grandstands. Like, you know, notoriously, I think 15 at Augusta, people will say, oh, you know, oh, I can bail right here, might get a kick off the grandstands or whatever. But to actually purposefully ruin the hole, ruin the golf hole and the golf course and stick a fence back there is outrageous. Like, that you is so know? stupid. It's totally messing with the, the design of the golf course. And the risk reward element of the whole. So you're you're probably not aware of this part because you're you and Chris are not as in tune to the LPGA as I am, just because Marty's a big LPGA guy. So winner Miriam Lee on seventy on the seventy second hole, she inadvertently just skulls her third shot into the wall. She chips in to get into a playoff and then wins. No way. Shit, you not. It's that's, unbelievable. That's terrible. She did also have like three chip-ins on that final round to, to charge to get into the playoff to win, which is pretty sick. But the 72nd hole is just egregious. What's the debacle this week, Mike? What are we hearing all the fuss about? Sean, this is wonderful. So the range is only 300 yards at Champions Golf Club, which is adequate, especially for women. You know, the old adage, the worse the range, the better the golf course. So... Just due to the size of the field and the limited space, they're utilizing both sides of the range to accommodate all the players. And the USGA thinks 300 yards is not enough. So 30 yards away from each side, they put a fence. And I'm not talking like a small net that, you know, just kind of goes up to your knees to stop the ball. We're talking a 10 to 12 foot fence that is just dark green and you cannot see on the other side. It's like the border wall. And players are livid about this. I mean, I would be too. I feel bad for these women, you know, two walls in a row, just controversy galore with the USGA. You can't see the ball land. I, I sent a video to you guys yesterday. I'm just like, this is a fucking joke. And like I said, the players are not happy about it. Danielle Kang had a great quote. 
<laughs> she had some great quotes about it. Brian Wacker on Golf Digest, he wrote up an article and Danielle Kang says, quote, I'm not thrilled about it, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean. And then she goes on to say, I do a lot of wedge work. I do my wedge numbers with head covers every single day. So that's kind of bringing in a lot of obstacles for me. So I've been going into tents and trying to hit wedges. I went over there behind the trees and tried to hit it. I went across the range. I'm trying to find places where I do it because routine is very important to me. And I want to be able to hit wedges. We actually scouted the entire range on where I could hit wedges without interfering other players' practices because I had to dial in my numbers. Every single day, it's different, and that's very important. And Danielle has every right to be fucking livid about it. Yeah, so I think that's a little whiny. It's a little over the top. It's not a huge deal. It really isn't. But the optics of it are massive, I think. I was seeing videos being posted of LPGA players' swings from this range with a fence 30 yards in front of them. Why is this a major venue if you can't even hit balls at the range? It just looks problem, so bad. But the problem is, is that it was never a problem in the fucking first place. Yeah. So, you know, the USGA always does these sort of like gimmick groups. So the three longest players are are grouped together. That's Bianca Pag, Pagdanon. I Sorry if I mispronounced that. She's Filipino. She... She kind of blew up the other week because she was absolutely murdering it at Lake Oconee. Yeah. So she hits a 284, and then Ann Van Dam and Maria Fossey are around 281, 280. Also, I encourage all of you to look up their swings because they are three incredible golf swings. Yeah. 284, you know, if you're averaging 284, 300 is an adequate range. And, you know, maybe she catches one absolutely on the screws and it rolls up to another person's feet. You know, the ladies on the other side aren't getting domed. Yeah. I this think people would rather useful. have they'd rather have balls roll up to their feet than not be able to see where their, their shots are landing. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing where the USGA says, All right, here's a non existent problem for what, point one percent of the field. How do we solve the problem? And somebody just says, Let's just make the range a problem for everybody. <laughs> Just, yeah, just because three, three girls might hit drivers that roll up to the player's feet on the other side. Like, it's an absolute disgrace. Think that one through a little bit. I mean, you're going to get shit for it, you know? Like, there's just no way that's going to go over smoothly. It totally is a disservice to the LPGA, the players. Not so much that they can't see their, where their ball is going. It just looks unprofessional. It, it get, takes away from the credibility of the event. It makes the the U.S. Women's Open look bad, to be honest, and I, I think that's not that's that's not helpful in a time where you're trying to pick up viewers. Like this is a crucial time, apparently, based on all the advertising that they've been doing to to try to pick up viewers. And they pulled every string to kind of make the range better for Bryson, who is doing his histrionics at Wingfoot, pumping it over the range into the cars. But, I mean, this would never happen at a men's event. If there was a fucking fence yeah. at, at the U.S. Open, heads would fall. So, Mike, if someone's tuning in, you know, not an LPGA fan, kind of similar to myself, if someone's an avid PGA Tour fan, not an LPGA fan, they don't know much about the history of the U.S. Women's Open, the players, what are some things to look out for, some players to keep an eye on, just some things to watch over the course of the week? So, if we're talking about America, our main listenership, if that's a word, is American. So, those are the players you're going to naturally be more invested into. 
I say look out for Danielle Kang and the Corda sisters. Nellie especially, she was on an absolute tear. She, she's been uh, with some niggling injuries, so she's a little out of form. Jessica has been playing well. She played well last week in Dallas. And then Young Kim, she's really the hottest player in the world, and, and rightfully so, she's the favorite. And then we can look out for other women like Jin Young Ko. She's the world number one. She just came back from Korea after a long layoff due to COVID. Now she's starting to get back in the swing of things. She played really, really well last week. And then, so Lydia Ko's been having a real resurgence. Yeah, I'm going to bring her up. Thanks to the help of uh, one Mr. Sean Foley. And her swing looks fantastic. She's been in really, really great form. She hasn't gotten that comeback win yet. I know she famously blew it at the beginning of the restart for the LPGA, but I'm looking at her to do really, really well because she is in really solid form. Yeah, so uh, keep an eye on some of those players. You know, I'm looking, I, I think you brought up Jin Young Ko coming back, hasn't played much, you know, coming back and played well last week. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye on her. I think she's being slept on a little bit. And of course, for the entertainment, that girl Bianca, Bianca Pagdanana, Unbelievable swing. Hits it a mile. I hope they give her Maria Fossey and uh, I don't remember who the last player you brought up. It's uh, Ann Van Dam with the number. Oh, Van Dam, yeah. Okay. I hope they give them some, some air time. I'm sure they will. They wouldn't have put them in that group if not. But, you know, that's going to be an interesting group because they're kind of doing what Bryson's doing to the PGA Tour. They're kind of making everyone rethink like, oh, oh man, I need to start hitting it a little farther because they are 50 to 60 yards longer than some of the girls out there on the LPGA. And that is a massive advantage. Well, when you watch their swings face on, especially Fossey and Bianca, their swings are kind of like, remember a couple of years ago when Gankus was like really starting to blow up and everybody was copying yeah. the leg work and the shallowing yeah, definitely action. definitely the leg work. Yeah. The way Fossey shallows the club, it's like Sergio on steroids. It's sick, yeah. She's got a great swing. I'm surprised she hasn't made more noise coming out. She's of the in LPGA. terrible form, though. Yeah, I don't know if she's going to be up there playing well this week, but definitely a swing to look out for because I think she will be one of the better players on the LPGA Tour in a few years' time. Other thing, just to watch these women in relation to your game, something you can take from them, we always kind of allude to it. They roll the fucking rock. Yeah. These women are so good on the greens just they make everything like if you watch indy park the hole probably looks like a ditch to her and then <laughs> also their demeanor is so cool calm and collected yeah yeah that's something just, really to look out for i mean it, it's noticeable guys in the pga tour some of them got flaring tempers you, you look at john rom you look at a lot of guys thomas peters even rory can get pretty angry at times i've never seen an lpga player get flustered to the point where they're snapping a club, doing any of that, that shit. So definitely something to look out for over the course of the week, how even-keeled they are. I might do a little research to see if there's a, uh, if there's a female Spencer Levine. There's got to be. I haven't there's always seen... a Spencer Levine everywhere you go. I've seen a couple, like, women, you know, throw, throw an F-bomb out there, get angry. I've never seen them break a club or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, you never but... see a throw, a break, none of that stuff. I mean, Spencer Levine is kind of in his own echelon. He's the godfather of angry golf. Do we want to move into our extended Eurozone segment? 
Yeah, so the European Tour, it's the DP World Championship out in Dubai at the Jameer Golf Estates. We're on the Earth Course. Last week, we were on the Fire Course for one of the tournaments. Um, you just need wind. Wind next. Earth, wind, yeah. and fire, baby. Earth, wind, and fire. So wait, I, I, got tip, I got tipped off about this by a friend. Apparently, this is so good. Apparently, the original development they wanted like an earth, wind, and fire golf No course, way. Which is unbelievable. That's great. Apparently it fell by the wayside, but I just think that's so good. How long ago were these courses built? Uh, I think this was like in the eight, in the eighties, early nineties. Okay. Like Dubai was, gonna... was like really starting to like blow up. I was going to say, if this was like 10, 15 years ago, that would, that would have been so classic. Build an earth, wind, and fire course and earth, wind, and fire hasn't had a hit in 20 years like i know just so out of touch with the times but i I love that that's that's awesome if you didn't open those courses in september you just missed a massive marketing opportunity yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) so we gotta get you want to know these puns you want to know what (laughs) we are dangerously into pun territory you want to know what i hate the most about tournaments in dubai or abu dhabi is just like the monday through through wednesday leading into the tournament is just the constant spamming by the Euro Tour, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like like Golf Digest or Golf Pass, Golf TV um, on Instagram. It's like those before and after pictures of the courses or like the skyline where there's no skyscrapers and now it's just all skyscrapers and it's just like yes, we get it, we see it every fucking year. Yeah, Dubai's a big city, like yeah, Dubai, Dubai's a big city big urban development just overnight transformation pretty skyline yes we gotta stop shoving it down our throats or um the worst is the eagle clubhouse where it's like look at the clubhouse wait what is this i haven't seen this uh the one in abu dhabi you know that you know that famous clubhouse where oh yeah 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 Yeah, that's that's also the worst so to stop ragging on the Euro Tour, actually, we're not going to stop ragging on the no, Euro Tour. No, because, <laughs> to continue ragging on the Euro Tour. To continue tour. ragging on it, but let's just set it up. So this is essentially their version of the Tour Championship. And due to finals week, we've been pushed back to Thursday. So they've already completed round one. So Victor Perez leads at minus five. And then at minus four is Bob McIntyre, Matthew Fitzpatrick, and then Sean Fitzgerald's favorite, Eric Van Royen. Two classic rock okay, guys. Ryan. Yeah, definitely a big classic rock guy. So with the race to Dubai, it's kind of akin to the old FedEx Cup before it became your flighted club championship, in where <laughs> your where your top five. If you if you're in the top five and you win this week, you win outright. So to set that up, your number one is Patrick Reed, noted enemy of the pod, and then we're followed by Fleetwood, Colin Morikawa, who has notably never played a European tour event. Yeah, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Uh, Pod favorite, Lee Westwood, and then the red hot Christian Bazzini. And then who do we have outside the top five? And then on the outside looking in, we have Victor Perez, your leader, Aaron Rye, and then Louis Oosthuizen, who's, who decided to forego this week to play the QBE with Bubba Watson, which is just, you know, that's, that's really dark. That's saying a lot about the European tour. What do you think Bubba and Louie talk about? Do you think they talk about Louie's tractor? I mean, Bubba likes to act like he's like a farm boy. So I, I bet they bond over being from bumfuck nowhere 
(laughs) Back from Baghdad, Florida. Yeah, Baghdad and wherever Louis from in South Africa. Hey, you know we have farms up in the Panhandle, Louis. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and then Hatton and Lucas Herbert round out the top ten. Hatton's Hatton's playing this week. The thing is. the standings. Hold on. I want to talk about the standings before we go. Yeah, I wanted to get into this as well. So Hatton sitting at number nine. That is insane to me. I I would put money he was in the top five because he's played really well. He won the, the BMW earlier this year on the European tour, which is notably their biggest event. And he won he won Bay Hill though, which is kind of like an upper tier PGA tour event. And he's he also won really, Bay Hill. He's done a lot of his damage on the PGA Tour this year. Yeah, but he's also played a decent amount of European Tour. He's won on the European Tour. And you have Colin Morikawa sitting at number three, who has never played a European Tour event. That's an issue. Like, you can't have that. How's how's Patrick Reed number one? And I'm not bitching because, you know, Patrick Reed is just a golf supervillain. But what's he played? I know he won Mexico, so those, so the WGC, you know, kind of carries yeah. over, has a little bit extra weight, and I know that he does like to play. He does like to play on the European Tour, but what has he done to be the race to Dubai number one? So, yeah, I totally agree. I think there's there's major issues with this system, right? You can't have guys winning WGCs that are PGA Tour players, guys winning majors that are PGA Tour players. And now all of a sudden they're in the top three of the standings. Like they're trying to dip their feet. And I totally understand it. They're trying to dip their feet into American golf into, I mean, the WGCs aren't American, but they're trying to dip their feet <laughs> into, to, into that side. You know, they're, they're going WGCs are, you know, more PGA tour players than European tour players. And the issue that you get is now this tour championship is likely going to be won by a PGA tour player who never plays on the European tour. So it leads to real issues because now, like, Colin Morikawa has not played on the European Tour yet this year, in his, in his career, actually. And he has a really good chance to go out and just win the thing. Whereas guys like Eric Van Royen, Victor Perez, they, they play almost every week, and they're not getting any credit for it. That's a real problem. And obviously there's a big asterisk. Just with 2020 as a general proposition due to – just due to the state of the world and, you know, the way golf season shaked out. But I think what it shows is that there is a disproportionate weight to major championships and to, like, these WGCs. And you want to know why is because with the OWGR, and I know some guys, like, I'm sure Chris Solomon is going to disagree with us because he talks about European Tour OWGR manipulation. But but the, the fact of the matter is the top 50 in the world – and the guys who are being exempt into these OWGRs are primarily PGA Tour players. And so they're going to be the ones that are eating up all the points. Yeah. And can we just talk about what Colin Morikawa said? I bet you he didn't even realize that he was third in the race to Dubai. And, of course, we would have done the same thing if we were number three in the race to Dubai and not played the PGA Tour. We would have taken the, the flight halfway across the world to earn that fat-ass paycheck. Just, oh, just yeah. for the chance. Definitely no. You know, I'm not ragging on him at all. He's doing the right thing. Just the fact that he is in third place in the race to Dubai is outrageous. Like, I got a chuckle out of what he said. He said, quote, 
I think winning the race in Dubai would mean a lot for my career, for myself, because I want my game to travel. I want to be a world's player. I want to be able to bring my game, adapt to the different places I come to, and this is just a step of doing that. I'm like, what? Yeah, there's a lot of issues with that. That goal. First of all, he he hasn't done anything outside the U.S. Like all all the work he's put in has been in the U.S. to get to number three in the standings. So proving you're a global player, all right, go out and play the European Tour for a year and, and then cur- win it. But that's unrealistic, obviously. Yeah, I mean he's only been on PGA Tour for a year, so we can't rip on him too much. It's more the fact that it's just. God knows as PR team fucking cooked that one. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's it's great too, because to be honest, this probably doesn't mean that much to him. It, it's probably it's a money thing. Like he probably got paid to go over there and play. He's also gonna get paid if he wins the race in Dubai. That's the real reason he's playing. He's not he's not going over there because it would be a huge honor to win the race to Dubai. Like that's gonna be an afterthought in his career in ten years when he's won the FedEx Cup and and probably added a you know, a handful of wins to his resume. Don't, and don't hold me to this, but I think this might be a no-cut event. So he's getting paid. Yeah. And he's definitely getting paid an appearance fee. They're trying to get as many big-name guys over there as possible to really draw some eyes this weekend because they don't have a PGA Tour event to, com- to compete with. Hey, speaking of your game traveling, uh, did you see that Sung is playing this week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what to say to that. Like, I mean, it's gotta be exhausting. He plays everything. Everything. He doesn't take a single week off. This is a no. time meant for guys on the PGA tour to take some time off. And this guy is such a mental grinder that he is out halfway across the world playing in a tournament that means absolutely nothing to him. I know, it's insane it's unbelievable. to me. I have so much respect for him. That is insane. I, I just played a tournament for a couple days. It's a mental grind playing competitive golf. Never mind going out playing a four-day tournament every single week and traveling in between them, trying to practice, getting your game in shape. That's a grind fest. I'm sorry. I, I have no idea how he does it. I, and I don't think we've ever explicitly said this, but we have so much respect for these golfers who literally travel every single week yeah, hitting the road, especially insane. like those corn ferry guys who are, you know, driving or staying in budget hotels. And then, you know, you're away from your family, you're away from your girlfriend, away from the kids, you know, your, your spouse, whatever. And like, I remember like when I was playing junior golf, you know, I, I like went from like New York to Maryland, Maine, like kind of like in like a three week stretch, and I'm just like, this isn't fun. Like this is no, like, this is exhaust. Like this is exhausting, and and like junior golf is like starting to feel like a job. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not enjoying this. So like, yeah, especially for Sungjae. I know we kind of laugh about it because it's a little bit of a gag at this point. But wouldn't you think he'd like to christen his new home in Atlanta? <laughs> I, I don't. He's just a robot. Like, he just doesn't care about anything besides golf. I hope the, I hope the deal for the house did not fall through. Yeah, he needs, he needs somewhere to live. He needs to go, he needs to go <laughs> home for a couple of weeks. I think it would have benefited his game, too, because he's, he's not playing well. Besides the Masters, he's playing pretty, pretty poor golf. He shot three over, you know, is way down at the bottom of the leaderboard. I don't think we ever mentioned it, like, on our Masters pod, but, like, I was a little surprised to see Sungjae play well 
happen last week because you did not oh, oh, yeah. in the race draw. Definitely surprised. Uh, we talked about it because I remember saying I in the interviews, the, the post-round, fourth-round interview was fantastic. He had his translator in there. And I love watching the interviews with translators. It's just – it's like – it's great it's watching – the reaction of the translator, you know, sending the message, like, you know, they'll laugh randomly. It's like, it's funny because I got that joke 20 seconds ago. But <laughs> you know, he, he got a question about his game, the state of his game. And he said, you know, I was coming into this week hoping to make the cut. I just want to play the weekend at Augusta. And ended up placing, what did he T2 or, or, or solo third, had a really, really good week in his first Masters. He, that says a lot about the state of his game. You know, if, if he's not feeling confident and he is playing every week, like that's a sign to take some time off. I want him after this week to go back to Atlanta, figure out some shit with his golf swing, get his game in shape, and then show up at Sony fresh because I think he does need to take some time off. But to play devil's advocate or kind of the flip side of that, it's also a testament to his game that even when he's not playing well or, you know, when he's in bad form, he can piece it together. Yeah. He's got, and that, he's got an unreal short game. He's, he's so good around the greens. Yeah. Everything with his game. He's just, he's just such a well-rounded player. And this is why we big him up and, you know, kind of like these, you know, golf journalists like really big him up to be sort of like the best thing coming out of Asia since maybe in the history. Yeah. Since KJ. That's yeah. That's... Since K- yeah, since probably yeah, since probably like KJ Choi or maybe even like a Jumbo Ozaki. I know he didn't really do anything in the states. You know, he just kind of beat up the Japan tour, but maybe he had ties to the Yakuza that kind of incentivized him to stay. <laughs> so, do we want to get into guys we like this week? Uh, who to watch out for? I don't know much about this golf course. So I don't really want to talk about that. I guess we'll kind of see see how the scores are. See see what the golf course is like over the course of the week. Scores are kind of high, you know, five unders leading, so it can't be that easy. It's a big, it's a big boy golf course. I think it's clocking in around 74, 75. It's a modern golf course. I can't remember who designed it. It's an intriguing golf course. Like, I, it's not a bad golf course by any means. Yeah, and it does. I, I watched a little bit of, of the highlights. You know, it looks all right. Yeah, it's I mean, challenging. of course, there's not a single blade of grass out of place. You know, those bunkers have just pristine white sand, and those bunkers are ginormous yeah those are those are pure bunkers for sure it looks but, like the, it looks like the sarlacc pit in star wars <laughs> so as we look at this leaderboard we got victor perez through round one leading my boy my boy victor perez you guys ragged on me during the masters draft turns out it was a sharp pick yeah he played all right um you know we got guys like like Bobby McIntyre, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, Van Royen, the German Stallion, of course, uh, Martin Keimer. German some horse guy showing up. Some guy, Villamacchi, uh, Hatton Fleetwood. So, so some good players up there. Who are some guys to look out for after round one, Mike? So it's interesting. Henrik Stenson is minus two. He's only three off the lead. He's playing some terrible golf. Like, I think yeah, he withdrew from Bermuda. Had some injury issues. Um, but, of course, we should absolutely watch the guys at the top of the leaderboard. Tommy Fleetwood, perennial contender everywhere he goes. Um, apparently, he's- Except for the PGA Tour this year. I mean, it's crazy watching his scores on the PGA Tour and the difference between his scores on the European Tour. Like, he's up there almost every week on the European Tour. And he's really struggled, I think, got under the radar – on the PGA tour this year, hasn't really played well at all. 
Hey, I didn't realize Hovland's playing this week in, in yeah. Dubai. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's an absolute toll on your body to go from winning Mexico and then, you know, just hopping on the plane going halfway across the world. And to shoot minus one on a on a tough golf course, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. But other guys that, you know, that I want to look out for, Callum Shinkwin, he won out in Cyprus. He Did you see that he was playing two drivers the other week? Oh. I mean, which is just, this is the way the game's going. You know, you have your standard 45 or, you know, 44 and a half inch driver. And then I think you have like a 48 inch driver, which is, I still can't wrap my head around it. It's got to be like swinging a fucking sledgehammer. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's really long. I, I don't know how you hit it out of the center of the face. I, I mean, mean, these guys clearly can do it. I mean, Sean, how tall are you? What, like 6'4"? Uh, like, I think I'm creeping in on 6'6". Six, six. I think I've grown oh a little bit. Wow. You, are you able to dunk a basketball? Nope. <laughs> Never. Uh, white, I, white man can't jump. <laughs> yeah, I cannot jump. I probably need another two, three inches, and I could do it. Uh, right. So if I worked at it, I could. But Yeah, and... Um, Matt Fitzpatrick has won on this course, so I mean his game travels. He's he's an incredibly well-rounded player, really underrated. Makes every single call. so I'm watching out for him. I know that he was in a little bit of a little bit of hot water. I wouldn't say more like warm water with his with his uh, comments to Bryson that came out probably about a month ago. Yeah, def- definitely caught some attention for that. I, we we certainly gave him a good amount of shit for those comments. Uh, Put a lot of pressure on him to perform, which he did. But yes. in terms of guys I'm looking at, I'm looking at a guy like Eric Van Royen. You know, he's one of my favorite players out there. Seems like a really good guy. Plays so well on the European tour. Like, just a model of consistency. I'm looking down. Like, I can't skip over Patrick Reed at two under. Like, as much as I don't want it to happen, he will be there by the end of the week. Like, he's going to find a way to get up to the top of that leaderboard. And then Christian Bezadenhout, one under yesterday. He's T18, just four back. So, you know, look for him to, to make a charge. He's, you know, won two times in a short span. So definitely a guy to watch out for. And I don't know if this is us kind of being a little bit out of tune with the European tour or, you know, whether this is an actual solid reflection of this golf course. But even through round one, when you when you scroll down the leaderboard, it seems like, this course is sort of separating the cream from the crop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, I mean, you got guys that are five, six, seven over at the bottom of the leaderboard. Uh, shout out Wilco Nienaber. He played really well a couple of weeks ago, almost had a chance to win at the Joburg Open, and uh, he's seven over. Shot yeah, but the, then there's guys who – yeah, and then there's guys who have been playing really well in the past few weeks that are down toward the top of the leaderboard. I think – um, you know, Dean Burmester, he, he played well in his last few, in his last few events, you just alluded to Wilco Nienaber. Um, yeah. So Rasmus Hoygaard's down there, Justin Harding, Tom Lewis, you know, Rasmus Hoygaard is an impressive golfer. He was on an absolute rampage at the beginning of the year and then season was cut in half. I think what happened to him is sort of what, similar to what happened to Sungjae. You were building up all that momentum and it's just halted. Yeah, there were a lot of guys that, that the season uh, stopping really screwed over. Oh, Sungjae was playing great golf. Hoygaard, obviously. Rory was playing on Unreal uh, before the stop. So definitely screwed a lot of guys over. I'm, I'm interested, Mike, to see what happens to guys like Nina Berg, guys like Rasmus Hoygaard, 
to see whether they end up making a jump to the PGA Tour. Uh, these guys are both really young. There's a lot of good young talent out on the European Tour. Uh, guys that are, you know, 22, 21, 20 years old. I think Hoygaard's 19. It'll be interesting yeah. to see if these guys end up coming over to play the PGA Tour because this is the, like, Hoygaard is the, he's the Jordan Spieth right now of European Tour golf. Like, you know, he's the young. That's disrespectful prodigy. to Rasmus Hoygaard. But, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? He's the golden child, the young prodigy coming out at 19, 20 years old, making a lot of noise. Absolutely. No, I really hope he ends up coming to play the PGA Tour because he's a guy that has the game to win on the PGA Tour, just needs the time to mature. And it would be really interesting to see him come over. We have, haven't had, uh, you know, really a, a good young European Tour guy come over in a while, maybe since, since Rory. Yeah, and, and I also want to shout out uh, Sammy Valamaki. He's sort of like this big, giant Finnish dude, flat bill cap, a little bit of a beer belly, but can kind of hit the shit out of the ball. He's also really impressive. I, I look to see him doing more stuff on the European tour. He's, been, he's actually been in pretty good form as of late. But guys, like, when I, whenever I've watched Hoygaard, he's really impressed me because for somebody of his age, there's no real glaring weakness. I know, I think his first real start in, in America was the U.S. Open. I, I don't know if he got an exemption or if he was automatically exempt due to, due to world ranking, but I know he got a little bit punched in the face. And with guys of that age traveling across the pond, there's going to be some growing pains. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if anyone's going to go overcome him, though, it, it's this kid. He, he is really, really solid coming out you know, yeah, at a so, really young age. Yeah, if you were to buy stock in a in a young player on the European tour, you should bet the farm on this kid. You know, I'm going to say it. I, this kid's a future rider cupper. What, so what do you want to make of guys? There's, there's some Americans that are playing full-time on the European tour. I'm a little bit intrigued by Sean Crocker, John Catlin. Well, Catlin won back-to-back -back weeks in, on the European tour after the restart. I think he won. Yeah. So he won at, Val, so he won at Valderrama, which is just like a notoriously impossible golf course. I think he won it like I think he wanted like plus one or plus two. That course is just, so I mean, tight. it's just comically tight. It's, it's ridiculous. And those greens are, greens are tough. It's just it's playing firm fast. It's, it's a notoriously brutal golf. And then he won the following week in Ireland. So it proved that it wasn't just a one-off. Uh, Sean Crocker, he made the uh, semifinals at the USAM in, I want to say, 2015, 2016. No, 2015, because he got dusted by Bryson, which is nothing to be ashamed of, it, especially no. seeing what Bryson's in his you know, relatively short career. Then I was looking at him, I'm like, oh, Bryson's kind of been out here for a while. He's not here this week, but there's a there's one young American that's really impressed me in the last few weeks, this guy, uh, Johannes Veerman who you would think is like from the Netherlands just by hearing the name, but um, he's a Texas A&M grad or Texas Tech, one or the other. I believe it was A&M. Kind of tall, lanky guy. He kind of looks like Wilkin Nienaber. Nice, really fluid swing. Hits the ball a mile in the air. Good hands around the green. He's impressive. You know, I'd like to see what he can do next year when we hopefully have a little bit more of a full schedule. And then see if his game travels to the U.S. because – you feel as though end game with these American guys is to eventually transition to the PGA Tour. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what I was getting at is you know these guys are taking the Brooks Kepka route. They're going they're going Challenge Tour. They're going European Tour, and then they're going over the PGA Tour, which I think is a cool cool way to do it. 
definitely takes away from the grind of like U.S. mini tour golf, U.S. developmental tour golf. Like going over to Europe and traveling, you know, it's probably pretty expensive to, to play Challenge Tour. You're still traveling quite a bit between countries, seeing, but that's seeing a cool the world, way to do it. Seeing the world, yeah, learning like, about other cultures, eating different foods, seeing how people across the world live lives compared to live their lives compared to Americans. And I think that's kind of like an invaluable experience that some of these guys get. And ever since they got rid of Q school, which, you know, rest in peace. I, you know, I wish they brought it back because Q school was the absolute fucking best. It, um, you know, the Brooks Kepka, uh, Peter Uline route is really got some hype, but it's a lot more of a, a lot more of an appetizing route. Yeah. And, Kind of what I was getting at, too, is that these guys take the European tour or the, the challenge tour and then the European tour route, and they end up bursting onto the scene of American golf. You know, that kind of happened with Brooks. You know, not a lot of people knew who he was. He came out, he won the Waste Management, I believe, before he won the U.S. Open. But he was a relatively unknown name in the golf world, and I think that's going to happen with some of these guys. You're going to see guys like John Catlin, like Sean Crocker, like the guy you just mentioned that go out and they go play European tour golf. And then they kind of burst onto the scene on a PGA tour and play really well. And you're like, where the hell did that guy come from? You know, I, I never saw him on a web leaderboard. So it's a cool route. It, it should lead to some players just popping out of nowhere, uh, which I think is really cool. And it's, it's definitely a cool way to do it and, you know, get some travel experience, but it's, it's probably, it definitely brings its sacrifices. That's, that's not an easy way to live. Yeah, of course. And, and as much as we, you know, root for these guys on the web.com, you know, watching these guys progression from, you know, maybe AJGA seeing through college through web.com and then eventually onto the PGA tour, like, obviously that's incredibly fun to watch. Like, you know, we've seen that with Will's Alex Horace, you know, over the past five, six years, just kind of transform into, you know, borderline world-class golfer. It's also really cool just to see, it's also really cool to see somebody come from Europe that you don't really know of, a little bit of an unknown commodity, and then yeah. you know, show up on a leaderboard, like maybe at a WGC. I think a lot of these guys, you know, have an experience with Eric Van Roy in this year in Mexico, where you're just like, wow, this guy can play. Yeah, definitely. So I think... Go on. No, you you go ahead. So I think that kind of move, that kind of caps off everything that we have to say about Europe. Do we want to move a little bit into QBE just, just for fun? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little QBE. So, you know, the, the, the formerly known as Shark Shootout. Uh, you see that? Did you just see that thing? Uh, you know, the PGA Tour just picking up Norman coming in in his fucking helicopter. Yeah, I did see that. Are you are you a Norman fan? Because I I'm not. You know, it, he's hard to like actually. As much as like <laughs> he is, you know, he's the shark. He's got the cool nickname. He he's the cool Aussie, but he's a hard guy to like. Like he's really cocky and um. Kind of, kind of gives me Gary Player vibes. I know we talked about him last week. We talked about Gary Player, like kind of stuck in his ways almost. Um, I think but it's like kind of a legend of the game, so you got to respect them. I think it's. I think what you're alluding to is just the 
is just a baffling lack of self-awareness. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, obviously he's a legend. It's more the fact that he is the lack of self-awareness. And I guess what really grinds my gears is just like the, the shtick, which I like to call uh, Dollar Tree Richard Branson. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. You know, I, I think I think him and Branson are boys. So, you know, I think Branson's ways have just completely rubbed off on Norman and not exactly in the best ways. Yeah, Branson's a weird dude. Oh, my God. They're, he's really, he's an odd guy. They are insufferable. I mean, I can't, I can't take it. So um, let's, let's take a look at some of these notable teams. Um, the first one that comes to mind is Ustazen and Bubba Watson. That is a bizarre team. <laughs> it's the, you know, we, God, we talked a- about it. Are these guys going to be bonding over farm equipment? Like, what is, what is the relationship between these two guys? I feel like they're so different. Bubba is like a loose cannon. And Louie is like the most even-keeled guy. It's hard to imagine that they're friends. Like, it's just, it's just odd. I feel bad for Louie because it's probably – he's Bubba's just probably just yapping his ear off. Yeah. Mudball. I mean, mudball, no, I, I just want to go to my tractor. Yeah. It, it is going to be a bizarre week watching these two. They also play two completely different styles of golf. Like what do they have in common? Like nothing. Like Bubba is hit it and go find it. Louis is like Mr. Smooth Tempo. No weaknesses really in his game besides maybe, the, you know, once he gets the rock rolling, he usually plays well. So just a weird, weird pairing there. Yeah, Another, the, butter, the buttery golf swing. I think like the only thing that I can think of that they have in common is that they play pain. Yeah. Literally <laughs> the only fair. thing so, I can think of. Maybe, maybe ping. Sneaky getting in there and, and putting their two guys together. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, but I'm also looking at Daniel Berger and Steve Stricker. Really that, an odd pairing here. But that seems like it could be a it could be a pairing that's set up to go subterranean low. Berger hits yeah. the shit out of the ball. Stricker's like a wizard around the greens. Stricker played um where was it that Stricker was playing on the PGA Tour? Like the week? He played last was, week. T-17. Was he in Mycoba? Yeah, he yeah, played pretty good. T-17 for Stricker. And I'm yeah, a big listening, Stricker guy. Listening to, a, uh, to an episode of Cameron McCormick's podcast, he gets, gets some good guests on there. But he was saying, yes, uh, Steve was saying that, you know, he, he's been playing a lot, trying to get his game in shape. And I, apparently him and Daniel are good buddies. So uh, I guess it makes sense. It Mike, this pairing, this is one of the weirdest pairings I've ever seen. Abraham Answer playing with Matthew Wolf. Oh my God! Yeah, Mister. Yeah, Mister Suave, Mister Cool, Short Game Wizard, Abraham Answer with notable chatterbox Matthew Wolf. <laughs> Just uh, gonna be a cool dynamic there. Answer's not a long guy by any means. Wolf hits the shit out of the ball. I think they're playing a scramble the first day. I, I don't really know how the format works, but I know there's a scramble mixed in there somewhere. So it'll be cool because Answer's one of the best iron players in the world, obviously. Wolf, one of the best drivers of the golf ball in the world, and they can both putt really well. So that's a team that could go really freaking low. I mean, Wolf yeah. just hitting the shit out of the ball, and they're going to stuff it on every hole. 
So then there's, of course, Harris English and Matt Kuchar, the Sea Island boys. Uh, so today I learned that the, the fucking defending champions are, are uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Slovakian, quote, uh, Rory Sabatini and uh, Mr. Gaines, Kevin Tway. They won it last year. I know, but it's like such a random That's pairing. crazy. Yeah, really. I don't know. I mean, these pairings are just weird. I guess uh, Billy Horschel, Brennan Todd, that makes sense. Uh, Ryan Billy Palmer, Horschel had a sneaky good good year this year. Yeah, really solid year. Uh, Munoz playing with Neiman. That's, that's pretty uh, commercial there. Latin but guys. that's the pairing I would look at because – yeah, that's a sneaky, really good pairing. Well, that's a that that could be a future president's cup pairing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then of course, you know, I'm sure the PGA Tour laid their laid their thumb on the scale, you know, you know, to get in on the distance, you know, the distance um, trend, you know, Cameron Champ and Tony Fino. Yeah, that one's that one's going to be fun to watch for different reasons. They both just absolutely nuked the ball, so. Uh, Mark Leishman, Cam Smith, pretty obvious pairing there, two Aussies. And then Lanto, Mackenzie Hughes, Sean O'Hare, Kevin Na is a little little odd. Didn't think Sean O'Hare would play this event. And then Varner and Palmer. So, you know, some some good ones in there, uh, some some ones you'd expect, some ones you definitely wouldn't expect. Um, but it should be it should be a fun little week. I don't know how much of it I'm gonna actually watch, but I am going to watch a zero week. of this. Yeah. It's it's something that's like it's cool in concept, but you don't watch any of it. It's just um, they need. It's the silly season. Yeah, if if you had Spieth in here, like Spieth, like I'm trying to think of guys that would really make me watch it. Spieth, Tiger, Phil, uh, Rory would. If you can get any of those guys in here, I'd, I'd watch it. But there's just nothing pulling you in, really. Jesus Christ could play, and I wouldn't watch. <laughs> The Lord himself. Yeah, and maybe I don't want to watch because of my uh, historic aversion to, to the shark. Yeah, definitely a reason not to tune in. I don't really have much else. I think we, we covered everything exactly how we wanted to, unless you have any closing thoughts. I have nothing else to offer. All right, so first episode without Chris. Honestly, went more smoothly than if we would have had him, so... <laughs> maybe maybe we'll bump him from the pod. It might yeah. just be Mike and I from now on. Yeah, we're not having his histrionics and his random shouting. I know. Just the random yelling. It, it gets tiresome. So It's no, the ad-libbing. No, He's a podcast Travis Scott. Yeah. Excited to have him back. We'll drop an episode on Sunday uh, after after all these tournaments. Some reactions. We'll do. We'll talk about the year in golf. Really, what was one of the most interesting years, crazy years in golf that I can remember. And uh, we'll talk about the year as a whole. So look forward to that on Sunday. Looking forward to watching the tournaments over this weekend, Mike. Yeah, so we'll review the tournaments. Then we'll review the year in golf. Maybe give out some awards. And then just, you know, like we always do, just, just shoot the shit. Yep. All right, Bye. guys. Bye. I hit a chili dip. It was off the. It was off the hosel. I mean, Cameron Davis is a joke. Mike, you got any yeah. takes on the e golf pro tour? You already have iron <laughs> covers. You already look like a giant <laughs> pussy. I don't care. I honestly don't give a shit. <laughs> he could be six feet under at this point. Whoever WD. 
I didn't watch a single <clears throat> bit of it, but I'm going to chirp at the Fairmont St. Andrews because of the name. Yeah, Paul Tesori. Paul Tesori, friend of the pod. Neiman, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Yeah. Friend so of the pod on Betsy. Terrell Haddon, are you kidding me? And there's a raccoon, no joke, like 20 feet away. Florida. Say Florida, I'm hanging. Florida. No! You can't yeah. say Florida! <laughs>